0: Kids, instead of being dismissed right now, I would like to invite you to come up on the stage for a story, okay? I've got a special kid's story for you guys this morning. Be brave and come on up. This is going to be a fun, a fun story. This is a story that my dad told me when I was young, okay? So you guys come right on up and sit right up here just like this so you can see the screen. Okay, good. Good. Once upon a time, there was a Canada goose, and this was his name, Gilbert, Gilbert. Now this goose, although it says he's a Canada goose, I think he's originally from Linden, because you know what his last name is? Vander Honk. <laughs> okay? This is Gilbert Vanderhonk. and let me tell you about something that happened in his life. He was flying north. Have you guys ever seen the geese flying north? What do they sound like when they fly over your house? Any, have you heard them? They're noisy. Honk, yeah. honk, 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 honk. They're all honking all the way. I have heard one. You have heard one? Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Okay, so that's what he was doing. He was flying north with his family, like every good Canada goose does in the springtime. They go north, right? But he was flying over Whatcom County, and he got over the top of Linden, and he's like, oh, that looks familiar that's where I grew up. And then he spotted a group of chickens down on the ground in the chicken pen. And he said, you know what? Those chickens look like they're having more fun than I'm having up here. Look, they don't have to work that hard. They just walk around, make a bunch of noise, and they eat corn all day long. And he looked around. He said, why am I sweating up here, honking all day and flying north? I'm going to go down and hang out with those chickens, and eat corn, and rest, and there's some trees, I'm going to sleep in the shade, I'm just going to eat corn, and take naps, that's all I want to do, so he did, he veered down, and circled down, all the way down, and he landed in the chicken coop, it was a little tricky landing, because it wasn't very big, and he landed, and tried to put on the brakes, and hit the edge of the chicken coop, scared all the chickens, and then he went over, and he had a, little bit of corn, and he's like, oh man, the party is on. So he got in there with those chickens. Now, what is a Canada goose doing hanging out with chickens? One thing he noticed after he spent a little time with those chickens is they were kind of mean. They were constantly pecking at each other and fighting and trying to spur each other, and it was a while before he could get the corn because those chickens were kind of mean, but guess what? Gilbert was bigger than those chickens, and he learned how to kind of push them around. So he would get in there, scare those chickens back, and then he'd push them out of the way, and he got to eat all the corn he wanted. And eat corn he did. His favorite thing, he would eat corn, and then he would go over and lay back, kick up his feet, take a nap in the shade. That's what he did all summer long. He just stayed there with those chickens because chickens don't really fly, do they? You guys ever seen chickens? You have chickens? Anyone have chickens? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, you've got some chickens? Okay, so you know about this. Okay, so here's what happened. It began to get kind of cold. And Gilbert was like, have you been outside at night lately? It's kind of getting cold at night. And Gilbert was kind of like, man, what's going on? It's, It's cold. And all of a sudden he heard the noise of his family flying south. Honk, honk, honk. They went right over the top of his chicken coop. And he said, Ah, it's too much work. I don't want to crawl out of this chicken coop and fly up there with them and go all the way south again. I'm just going to hang out with these chickens. I mean, they must be okay all winter long, right? So he said to his family, You guys just go on. I'm staying here and partying with these chickens. Well, Gilbert did not know that Linden was in store for a rough winter. It was snowy. There was a nor'easter snow drifts. You guys remember those? Big snow. And Gilbert was just freezing over there. He said, this is awful. I don't know what I was thinking, hanging with these chickens. I think I might not even make it through winter. He shivered all winter long. And then the sun started coming up again and it got to warm, warming up a little. And he heard that noise in the distance. Here comes his family. Gilbert, you get up out of those chickens and come join us. What are you doing down there? Come on, get back to work, young man. And he said, oh, man, I got to get out of here. This is not the way to live. So he backed up in that chicken coop as far as he could. And he said, "Okay, here we go. I am going to run and fly. And he took off. And guess what? He got about that far off the ground. And he tried to pull up. And he smacked right into the fence and bounced back. You know what had happened? Gilbert was lazy. He had not been working. He hadn't gone to the gym in a long time, and he (laughs) was too big to fly, just like those chickens. He couldn't even get off the ground. He had had way too much corn, taken way too many naps, and he was just basically dealing with the problem. he, He had created So he watched his family fly on there they just kept on going to the beautiful waters and the mountains up north and he was stuck with those chickens so you know what he did he thought to himself yep i'm i'm tired of this these chickens this is not what i thought it was this party is horrible so he strapped on his headband and he started lifting weights and working out and running on the treadmill there have you guys ever seen a chicken treadmill you don't have one of those? Oh, they're fancy. Yeah. He worked out, and he got in good shape. And then it started getting cold at night. And those chickens, they were making fun of him. Oh, Gilbert, you're never going to fly. You're just one of us now. And he said, no, I, I, I'm not a chicken. I'm meant to fly and work hard. And so he heard the noise of his family, and they said, Gilbert, come on up here where you're supposed to be. Come back come back. And he said, okay, that's it. I'm going to fly. So he backed up even farther this time, and he got his headband on, and he went for it. He started running. He flapped his wings, and guess what? He took off, and he circled like a big, beautiful Canada goose should, and he got up to the V, and he let out a big... (laughs) And he led the V and they flew south where the warm sun was shining. There he is right there, leading the way. That's the story of Gilbert Vanderhonk. Now, what do you think the moral of that story is? You guys have any guesses? Should we be like Gilbert and go down there and hang out with the chickens and just eat and be lazy and not work? No. Here's what I think. We should learn the lesson from Gilbert and say, you know, when it comes to school when it comes to chores around the house, someday when it comes to our jobs at work, we should work hard. We should work hard and honor the Lord and not be lazy. Now, I'm going to be preaching a sermon today that talks about how dangerous and sinful laziness is. Your parents will have more to tell you about when you get home today, so make sure and ask them, okay? All right, good job. Well done. Good job, yeah. All right, go get them. Go get them. Labor Day weekend, I was thinking, what an amazing thing that the Lord lined it up that we would be considering work on Labor Day weekend. What is Labor Day weekend? What is this holiday? For me, it was the holiday that happened at the most inopportune time because you always forget your locker combination, right? You're like, man, I just learned it. Now we've got a three-day weekend. Uh, Labor Day weekend is something that began with labor unions. They wanted to set aside a day to celebrate the American worker and the things that had been accomplished through hard work in our nation. Eventually, enough states joined that the holiday became a national holiday, and they established it, and said, here we are, Labor Day, tomorrow, get the day off. And so what I'd like to do is to spend these next few minutes considering just a a whole bunch of verses, and uh, let me pray as we dive into this together. Lord, we thank you for the lessons of life, We thank you for your patience with us when we have to learn those lessons more than once. We thank you for teaching us and and, and loving us enough to give us words of wisdom that will equip us to live well, to live our lives in a way that pleases you and that are satisfying to us. We acknowledge, Lord, we live in a world that is dark and confused about topics like work, And so we pray that you would uh, bestow your wisdom even now as we study these verses from your word and and make us more uh, attuned to the kind of workers you desire us to be in whatever stage of life we're in. In Jesus' name, amen. Wisdom and work. As I began to lay out these verses, I thought, you know, uh, we could just go to the Proverbs, but the Proverbs are set in the larger story of Scripture. And I, I really found myself wanting to develop a, a theology of work, to build it out. So from the beginning uh, all the way through then, what does it mean to be a, a worker uh, that pleases the Lord? So the, the verse that I found to be kind of a canopy over this is Proverbs sixteen three, among many, many others. But this one uh, says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord. Acknowledge Him. Uh, make sure that as you approach this topic, that, that is in view. He is Lord over your labor. He is the one who is to be acknowledged and to be pleased with, at the end of the day, your work. It doesn't mean that this is a promise for every, every single situation. Well, Lord, I committed it to you and I, I applied myself and then I got fired. What's the deal? What happened? This is a principle to live by. We are to commit all that we do in our labor to the Lord. And generally speaking, as we do that, we will find God bless. He will bless the work of our hands. He will shape it and direct it. So let's move through kind of a a theology of work. I want to begin in the book of beginnings when we first see uh, the topic of work established by the Lord Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, we read this. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep the garden. He put him in the garden to work it. This is the first uh, display of, of God's gift of work. And note this, this is before the fall. This is before sin. So we need to acknowledge this. Work is not a result of the curse. Work has been affected by the curse, the Genesis 3 rebellion, which we'll see in a, a minute. But work itself is part of God's original design for the good of his people. Which means, I hate to break it to you, you're going to be working forever. You just thought you retired. We're just getting started, friends. On the new heaven and the new earth, there will be work to do joyous, satisfying, fulfilling work. It is a joy. It is a gift. We've been created, in part, to be workers. Workers. Here's a display of this work that Adam did. uh, Just in a, a verse following here, verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now, does God need Adam to do this? Did God create a bunch of workers because he needed work to be done? Did he create uh, mankind to do all the work he'd rather not do? Absolutely not. He created us to work in a partnership with him that would display his greatness and goodness, give us a hand in the shaping and the work of God's work kingdom and his creation think of the joy of naming the animals i often think what what fun it would be to rewind the tape and go back to that moment and you you see the hippopotamus come up and and adam's like hippopotamus god's like okay how'd you come up with that you know or duck-billed platypus not gonna say anything just gonna write it down you know like that's a fascinating exchange as it goes every living creature. The work, it's a gift of God. Now, what is the goal of this work? What is the goal of this work? We find throughout the scriptures, but uh, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, just a canopy verse that helps us to see the goal of all that we do, including work. Paul says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we can certainly say that even before the fall, the work was assigned to his glory, to to the glory of God, that work was to be done. And as Adam worked and cared for the garden and cultivated it and kept it and worked that garden, worked the land, that was done in such a way to, to ascribe glory to God. Even on the other side of the fall, the curse, this remains true. In fact, if anything, more true than ever. Everything that we are to do is to glorify God. Now, Genesis 3 greatly affected our work when Adam and Eve disobeyed and they they took of the tree that God had said uh, they were to not eat from. That rebellion, that sin, that disobedience brought about death devastating effects, not only on, on Adam and Eve, but also on the land and the labor. Consider this, Genesis 3:17 to 19. To Adam, he said, notice this, he says this to Adam. So there's a, a special designated ownership of work that's re- responsibly placed upon the, the husband in this, and the curse goes there as well because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you you shall not eat cursed is the ground because of you in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life thorns and thistles see i knew i knew that was part of the fall picking blackberries should not be that hard <laughs> right it, can anyone agree you come back and you're like man what happened look like i got attacked by a bear Thorns and thistles shall bring forth you, uh, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. You are dust, Adam, whose name means dirt, dusty, and to dust you shall return. And so we find. God pronouncing a specific part of the curse for that rebellion, we know this. We've experienced this every day that we've lived on this earth when we go to work in all the different various ways. Even those who are not tilling the soil every day know that the challenge of work, this is a fallen world. Work is not easy. It is is hard, and part of that is the judgment of God because of sin, it is in the midst of that that Christians are called, called to work. That's the context then of our work. Work that is the good gift of God, that has now been cursed by God because of the rebellion and sin. Now we're called to work. Listen to this call. This came up, I'm sure, in the series through Colossians that you just journeyed through. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily. I love that word. Work hard. Work uh, tenaciously as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What an amazing thing to consider. Don't miss the first word of that. Whatever you do. So sometimes people think that certain jobs... Are, 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 are more important than other jobs. And what we would say is every job that God gives for you to do is a job in which you are working for Him and you are looking to Him to be your reward and you are seeking to please and serve Jesus Himself. Whether it be in the home, not receiving any monetary benefit from changing diapers or whether it be in the highest profile CEO job on Wall Street or in Silicon Valley. And anywhere in between. Who sees it? Nobody sees it. Or everybody sees it. And everything in between. You are working for who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Be encouraged then. We have an opportunity in our work. We have a call. So we are called as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, to redeem our work, Uh, not just to to, to mindlessly go about our work. We are to, to redeem that work in such a way that it becomes meaningful. We're not just trading time for money. We're not just blindly punching the time card, going to work and then going home. Well, there goes another week of my life. No, this matters. Your work in whatever you are called by God to do has radical implications for His glory and your purpose in this life. In fact, this is amazing. Have you ever considered the word vocation? Your vocation? You know what the Latin root of that word is? Voca, it means to call. So another way to think of vocation is calling. God's calling is whatever vocation that he has placed before you to do at that time. It's his call. And what is the call? Glorify God, work hard, please Him. Do your work in such a way that brings Him glory. Now, this can be convicting, can it? Because some jobs are just jobs, they're hard. This is not easy. How do we change the way we think? How do we stand out as believers from a world that comes to things completely different than we are to, according to these verses? I came up with a list. This is just the tip of the iceberg, but consider some of these approaches to work. These, my friends, we are guilty of, and the world around us is also guilty of. We have all been here at one time or another, and we have, I'm sure, displayed some of these things in repeated ways. Apathy. Carelessness. You come into work, coffee cup, here we go again. Okay, boot the computer up. Mm-hmm. Type in the forms. There's this. And then I'm just there. I, I, I might as well be a machine, right? I'm not heartfelt invested in my labor. I'm not working for God at that point. I'm simply working for the exchange of time and money. Carelessness, bad attitudes. One which might be boredom, laziness. They usually go together, don't they? Mm. The Lord loves when his people serve him from the heart. So it's not enough just to do the job and check it off. God calls us to serve him with, with gladness, with joy, to work for him from the heart. Oh, that's hard. That's hard on Monday mornings when you're not feeling it. Procrastination. I had to put this in here because honestly, that can be a sinful thing. Procrastination in many ways is not just something that happens to you because that's the way you are. It is something that you choose. And honestly, it can be very selfish. It's me saying, I will put off what I know I should do now because I'd rather just not do it. I have other things that are, I'm just going to put it off. I'm just going to focus on these other things. Procrastination can be sinful, friends. A display of selfishness. Maybe not in every situation. Lying, stealing, and cheating, in every situation, sinful, right? And they usually kind of weave together. They usually don't like to stand alone. They, the lying likes to create opportunities for the other. Cheating, stealing, stealing. Uh, and gossiping and slandering they all just kind of snowball up into this nasty black hole of your heart and you can smile and you can be pleasant but inside you know there's some stuff happening Bad mouthing how do you talk about the boss when he's not around how do you talk about your coworkers to the boss when they're not around how do you talk about everybody in the workplace when you go home Gossiping, finding something true, and telling people who uh, don't know about it in a way that could be harmful and damaging. Or slandering, making something up that's not true, or handing along something that might not in fact be true in a way that's damaging or hurtful. Pride in the workplace is rampant in our day. Boasting in yourself Um, inflating your abilities, drawing attention. We looked at that some last week, right? Or another way to see that is belittling, constantly knocking down someone else, pointing out their deficiencies, their weaknesses, their issues, their problems. If I do either one of those, pride is just shredding in my heart. Divisiveness. Impulsive decision-making, this is one we're going to see in the Proverbs. Not wise, prudent, slow, prayerful decision-making, but just, hey, that looks good, I'm off to another one, let's go. Poor stewardship. How do I treat the company car? Do I treat it like other employees, or will I take care of it? Uh, how do I deal with the, uh, the kind of equipment that I use on the job site? Am I going to be a steward of that which God has placed in my care because I know ultimately it's His and I am to care for it. Inconsistency. One week, you're, you're all in. The next week, ah, oh, whatever. Or what I saw a ton in California worked with folks in Silicon Valley, workaholism. This was just awful. Guys sleeping at work, waking up, Working round the clock, they would would come home, but never really come home. You know what I mean? Throwing entire families away for what? For what? A new startup? More venture capital? What's it worth? What will you trade? So in the midst of this and many, many other expressions, I'm sure we could all work together and build this list out way bigger. What kind of workers are we to be? how should we stand out? And the, the wisdom of Proverbs now meets us in, in this call. One of the reoccurring and most prominent calls of the book of Proverbs is to guard against what I'm calling the slippery slope of sloth and sluggerdom. Or you could say the surprisingly super slippery, sinful slope of sloth and sluggerdom. Many verses on this. A sluggard, to be clear about what we're talking about, I don't like labels, so maybe we could reword this. A sluggard is a person or uh, describes someone who is actively, right, uh, choosing not to work even though he has the ability to work, okay? They have, they can work, they're just saying, I don't want to. They lack the drive, the personal responsibility slash discipline and common sense to provide for their needs, to earn a living, to earn a wage. They like to sleep and they dislike work. Friends, there's nothing new under the sun. This was a massive problem in the day of King Solomon. It is a huge problem and it continues to be. Sin will show itself and one of the expressions of sin is in fact Sloth and sluggardom, laziness, a refusal to take responsibility for one's life and get to work. Slothfulness, King Solomon says, it casts into a deep sleep and the idle person will suffer hunger. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes is the sluggard uh, to those who send him. So if you're, if you're asking someone in the workplace to help carry a message and that person is a lazy person, a sluggard, they're choosing the way of the sluggard, guess how long that message is going to take to get from one person to the next? It's like smoke in the eyes. Hmm. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek it, harvest and have nothing. Here's a very direct one. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. That's just words of wisdom to live by. Love not sleep. Love not sleep. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways, King Solomon says. He's you can see him just watching these ants. You ever watch the ants work? Go to the ant, consider their ways. They don't have a chief. Uh, or an officer, or a ruler, yet she prepares her bread in the summer, she gathers her food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce upon you, come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Notice this, a a little sleep. Doesn't This isn't something that just happens all at once. It's, I know I should do this, but instead, I think I'm just going to kick my feet back like Gilbert under the trees and have some more corn. Rather than take responsibility and go to where I know I should be, it's just easier for me to kind of just sit back in the shade and kick it. Or go hang out with my friends. Or play another video game or whatever it might be. right This meets us where we're at. I want to be clear, video games are great. I enjoy video games, but they are a terrible idol, and they are not a way to earn a living. Just to, to be clear, unless you work for EA Sports and you're a phenom, you will not find a way to feed your family someday off of playing Xbox. So find a place for that in your life, and then Figure out a way to shut it off and go to work. Go to work. You hearing me, young people? Young guys? Tracking? There's a place and there's a time to turn it off and get busy. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. That's how lazy he is. This is comical. He's like, he's so lazy that he won't even work the, 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 the work to get the spoon to his mouth. The way of the sluggard is a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. It's a level highway. Hmm. Paul chimes in, builds out these Proverbs, I believe, to, to basically bring it, bring it home. And he says this, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. But he said this to a church congregation where people were in that church asking for handouts and able to work, and yet not willing to work. And they wanted to, to, in a sense, mooch from the the, the charity and the benevolence of the church body. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. God has this built-in motivation mechanism. It's called hunger. And if a person is able to work and unwilling to work, then three times a day, they are going to be reminded of their need to get up and work. I just want to be careful to say this. We're talking about people able to work. Don't don't misunderstand me. There is a place and a time and a joy for benevolent work, for helping meet one another's needs, for bringing meals. Don't, Don't miss what I'm saying. I'm talking about the choice to be a sloth, to be a sluggard, to be lazy when you should be going and getting a job. It was a real problem back in the New Testament church time. So, hear the words from the wise and work hard, right? Put this to work. Don't fall prey to the way of Gilbert Vanderhunk. Now, wise words for workers. I put down four words. These are canopy terms that I hope will help us see just some aspects of these verses as, as they build this out for us. Wise words for workers. Number one, diligence. What kind of workers are we to be? We are to be diligent workers, hard workers, persevering workers. Listen to some of these verses. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. You see what he's describing? He's describing somebody who who, who is diligent in their work. Let's get to work. Let's persevere in it. Let's work hard. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. The work of a man's hand comes back to him. I just want to say this. In our day, um, I have heard from many different people a reoccurring thing. I, I just can't seem to find good, hard workers Young people, listen to me. If you're a hard worker and you want to honor God in your work and you are diligent, you will have no trouble finding promotions and establishing a career. You will be rewarded for that. And this is a a call from the Proverbs. The work of your hand will come back to you. God is delighted in hard-working people, men and women, who can be counted on, diligent, trustworthy, persevering, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. If you're slothful, you don't even want to take the time to roast your game. Even though you have food, you're like, oh, I'm too tired to even cook it. Too lazy to even work, too undisciplined. But a diligent man will gain precious wealth. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Be on your guard against get-rich-quick schemes. Just say this. Most often, it's not the content of the CD's that you are purchasing. It's the actual sale of the CDs that makes the man rich. Get rich quick. Take my 10 simple steps. Oh, please buy my CDs. How did you do it? Well, I sold a bunch of CDs to people who wanted to get rich quick. That's how I got rich. Don't fall prey to that. Oh, our hearts are just fickle. They, they want the most with the, little, uh, the least amount of work. That's not the way of the Lord. It's the way of the world. In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Yeah, we're going to work hard. We're going to work hard. Hey, tell me about your week. Yeah, we're, we're punching in time card, but we're talking all day. That doesn't work well. Mere talk tends only to poverty. So what do we say? We say leave it on the court, right? Let your work prove your worth. You don't have to build yourself up and self-promote in the workplace. Allow others to see your hard work, your diligence, and it will be rewarded. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Sometimes we want everything all at once. And we don't understand that, that a lot of the accumulation or the, uh, you know, the, the purchase of a house even is something that is the, uh, the, the end of a long process, a journey your parents have been on for many, many years to uh, be able to afford the purchase of a house. Young people will, will get married and then they'll just assume that I gotta have the same size house as my parents right away. There's a journey involved. If you overextend as a newlywed and you buy a house that's beyond your means to carry financially, you cripple your ability to grow your finances. So live within your means. Start with a little apartment. It's fun. It's fun. I think ours was like 700 square feet. It was awesome. We had some great memories in there. Find a way to live within your means. First, prepare the field before you build your house. Don't overextend. Be wise. Work hard. So diligence. Second, honesty. So work hard and be trustworthy. Tell the truth. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. What a great way to describe that. Oh, the lie might bring a sweet reward, but eventually that reward turns into gravel. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Lying lips are an abomination. To the Lord. Those who act faithfully are His delight. An abomination or a delight. Lord make us that kind of worker that delight you with truth, speaking and, and faithful lips. This comes up again and again. I just picked one of these. There are many. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness will get a sure reward. Uh, Those of a crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. So this is how it would go. You would be selling grain in the marketplace, and people would would come, and you would pour the grain in this side of the scales, and on this side of the scales, you would have a weight. And as you poured enough grain to bring the weight up to level, that's how much uh, you, you were selling. But if you carve out the weight on the bottom just a little bit, that weight rises sooner. There's less wheat that they're actually getting for what they think they're buying. And they get home and they probably never even know. And on one transaction, you don't make much. But on a 100, all of a sudden, you begin to skim. And nobody knows it, do they? But the Lord does. The Lord knows. And he says, Abomination. Use fair and just and righteous balances. Don't you skim off the top. Be my delight in the workplace. Tell the truth. File your taxes accurately. Be precise. Be a delight to God. Contentment. This one would show up all throughout the Scriptures. I narrowed these down here to... Proverbs, do not toil to acquire wealth, be discerning enough to desist. That's a fascinating sentence. Be discerning enough to know when enough is enough, right? Know when to stop, know when to go home and punch out. Guys, it's not worth 80 hours a week, you're gonna throw away your life for what? Go home, be with your family, know when to desist. When your eyes light on wealth, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. A greedy man stirs up strife, but one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Better is a dry morsel with a quiet house than full of feasting with strife, than a house full of feasting with strife. So you can have all the food, you can have all the toys and all the things and, and, and strife with it, or you can work hard, be content. And have a quiet house with a morsel. How much is enough? Where do we draw that line? Christians should be discerning in how we distinguish ourselves from the world when we consider how much do we need? How much bigger, newer, faster, better are we going to pour ourselves into before we just say, it's enough? And integrity, here's a word to describe the Christian worker, integrity. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. What are you willing to trade for more money? Are you willing to trade your integrity, your name, My dad and my grandfathers both impressed this upon us. Carry the name well. That name means something. It's important. You carry that well. If you give your word, you show up. If you're going to say you're going to do something, then you do it. That's who we are. And, and what I would say is, that I'm, I'm not just talking about Pickens. I'm talking about Christian. That's the name we carry, is it not? It's his name. So our response this morning, there's there's so many different things that we could say and and build much farther than the Proverbs, but just to keep it here today, we have the goodness of work. God has set his goodness. He looked back and he said, it is good. He's given us a gift. We have the goal of work, which is the glory of God in all that we do. We work for him, not man. And and, and he is the one who rewards hard, faithful work. We live in a broken world where there is toil. We understand this work is not easy. We are called, we are called to have a, a vocation, a calling to honor him in whatever he gives us to do, in whatever season we're in. So response this morning, I just want to give you four, five things here to put to work. Well, I mean, some of you have retired already. You're working as far as in the workplace days are done, but, but your life is on. Our work is ever before us, isn't it? Some of you are young people. You haven't even started your career yet. You, you're not sure what you're going to do, but I guarantee you this. These, these words of wisdom, hold on to them. They will bless you. They will shape you. They will benefit your life and bring food to your table. First, Work hard and glorify God. In the workplace, hiring Christians should be a no-brainer. If if an employee is out there and he's looking for for people who know how to work, then the automatic win would be, that guy must be a Christian because he works hard. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be incredible? Now, that's probably not going to happen in a fallen world. In fact, some people have been demoted, even fired for being Christians. But let your work, let you be set apart in it and glorify God. Work hard. Maybe we could say this, glorify God by working hard in whatever he gives for you to do. Number two, manage your expectations. Friends, we do live in a fallen world. This, this world is, uh, is a mess. The workplace is a mess. It's hard. You will have customers who are very difficult. You will have co-workers, even bosses, as as we've worked on recently here in in, in, uh, some interactions with folks in the church. Very difficult situations. Lord, I want to honor you. Help me to understand that I am to stand out in this world of darkness and shine bright. Help me respond differently. Help me hold my tongue. Help me to to come to work fully invested, knowing that ultimately I'm working for you. This leads to the next one, which I think is probably the secret to it all. Pray your way through the day. Pray your way through the day. In the morning, as you're heading into work, oh, I need you, Lord. I need you. This is your day. This day is filled with potential to glorify you, to please you and obey you. I work for you today. And whatever I do, whether it be in the home or on Wall Street. And at the end of the day, thank you, Lord, for getting me through that day. Thank you. Help me, help me to sleep deep tonight. And we'll do it again tomorrow, right? Number four, love people. Was struck as Jenny and I watched a movie recently where a a retired man was hired to be an intern at a startup company That was just taking off. And this intern came in with wisdom of years. But here's the thing he did that made himself stand out. He just listened and loved people. He was attentive to where people are at. Even fellow interns, fellow nobodies, he made feel important. He gave wisdom and advice. He was humble. He was willing to do whatever was needed to be done. And in just a few weeks, he was indispensable to the company. He went from a nobody to the most important person that worked there. We can gain from that. As believers, we are called to love people. God will bring them across our path, wherever they are, in whatever situation they are. There's always a way to bless, to encourage, to listen. Love people. Love people. The kingdom assignment is most importantly directed at those who have souls. That's people. That's people. That's what lasts forever. Everything else is fading. It's all going away. But the people have an eternity in view. Either hell or heaven. God might have placed you in that workplace for no other reason but to shine the light of, of the gospel. In people's lives. Number five. Remember to rest. Remember to rest. This is a, a, a two-fold piece. Obviously the, uh, the, the commandment meets us here. Doesn't it? We honor the Lord's day. Uh, there are many of you here. Who could be at work right now. But you've chosen today. To honor God. Cease from work. And come and worship. To have a day. Patterned after our Creator, who worked for six days, and on the seventh, He rested. And He said, it's good. He enjoyed the work of His hands, but He had the perspective of looking at it from a place of rest. Do that. But all of this must be framed in the rest that we find in Jesus, doesn't it? Because hard-working people will still go to hell unless they find their rest in Jesus Christ. When he said, it is finished, he was referring to his work. His work. The work of of pain for the price of, of the sins of his people. Wow. Are you resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ today? And is that the foundation of your life? Is that, is, is that the launch pad for everything that you do? You're living to glorify Him, to live a life that is, that is aligned with who He is and what He calls us to? I pray that today all of us here would find our rest in Jesus, and then all of the work that we have to do would flow out of that place. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the finished work of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his obedience to take the most difficult assignment that has ever been given and to do his work. To submit his will to you and to take the cross for us, to glorify you and to to save us from our sins. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. We don't deserve this gift, this love, this, this work. But we, we delight in it. We pray that as we understand the implications of, of being made new by Jesus, finished work, that we would all of a sudden become increasingly the people at work that you call us to be. Help us to, to take the wisdom of the Proverbs here and put it to work even tomorrow. Make us wise workers. Help us to stand out. Lord, promote people. Advance them up through the ranks so that they would be in positions to bless and to shine bright. And for those, Lord, who have uh, positions that are just feeling like a grind, they maybe feel stuck or they, they, they don't know what to do, Lord, meet them there in their vocation, their current call, and help them to glorify you even on the hardest of days. We know that we're working for you ultimately, and our reward is not, not found in this life. It is coming. And we will see you face to face, and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, we, we work to that end. We long for that, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.